my roommate came home and I was I had literally folded myself over a chair like a dining room chair trying to get pressure to that area because it hurt so bad and I was just like can you stand on me and she's like I'm gonna hurt you and like nothing can hurt more than this if someone could have talked to me about it if that information could be out there that plants can help your period all sorts of hormonal issues in the body I could have not suffered for 12 years Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. And you are here for part six, episode six of the Your Body Imbalance series. And today we're going to be taking a look at two things that virtually every woman will experience to some degree in their lifetime. Today we're going to be joined by Anne Friday. She's a remarkable woman, a trailblazer even, and she will be here to share the trials and tribulations of a very rough ride through menopause. Her hot flashes were so severe that she was waking up at night and losing out on sleep. And all of this was taking a toll on her mood and on her life. And what's worse, Anne was a cop. And these flashes would strike while she was decked out in full uniform, complete with the bulletproof vest. We're talking about layer after layer of material. And she's trapped under all of this. And the searing heat would hit. Talk about uncomfortable. It was almost too much for Anne to bear. But then she started to take a look at what was missing from her diet. Could she finally find some relief from food? Was that really the key to reeling back in the changing hormones that were running amok? Well, she's going to be here to share her story. Very interesting woman, like I said, a trailblazer, and she didn't even know it at the time. So what did Anne learn, and how was she able to overcome? Well, she's going to be here to tell us. And then we're going to be joined by Dr. Neil Barnard, who will be dishing on the science of what can cause menopause to become so uncomfortable for so many women. What's going on inside the body when these hot flashes strike? And why is it that women in some cultures, they struggle mightily through menopause? And yet in other cultures, they just seem to breeze right through it. Well, he's going to be here with the science and the answers that everyone is looking for. And then you're also going to be hearing from Lindsay Nixon. You might know her better as the happy herbivore. She's the recipe genius from the Your Body and Balance book. And she's going to be back on the show today to share her own remarkable story of change. Now, hers isn't about menopause, but it, it's about extreme menstrual cramping, extreme pain, the kind of pain and discomfort that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, and the lengths that she would go to to try to find some relief were unheard of. And because of all of this, she's missing time from school and from work, and she's missing out on some of the greatest years of her life. And all of that continued 
until she finally started to look at her diet. And perhaps that really was just what the doctor ordered. No more outrageous acrobatics or couch balancing to deal with it. You're going to hear about that. But she didn't have to do that anymore. And suddenly, everything just seemed to up and vanish. All of that pain, it was gone. And she began living her best life. She was thriving. And all of that began with what was on her plate. Speaking of plates, Lindsay and I will also be dishing on a delicious lunch recipe from the book. It's actually from day two of the 14-day menu in your body in balance. And we're going to be getting gourmet here with Mediterranean croquettes and bayou quinoa. Fancy though it might sound, the recipe itself is rather simple. So simple that even the most novice of cooks can conquer it. So you ready to dive in? Let's get the show started right now with the conversation with the trailblazer in almost every regard. An amazing woman who learned how to cool off hot flashes with some simple dietary changes. As we continue here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee, we're going to talk to one of the most, I guess, strong women we have ever had on this show. Her story is just remarkable, and I think that you're really going to be struck by just how strong this woman is, her personality, her physical traits, everything about her, and yet she still struggled when it came to her hormones and menopause. And that kind of puts how difficult that can be for so many women right into perspective. And yet, this woman was able to completely reverse her fortunes just by changing her diet. And with that, we welcome Anne Friday to the show. Anne, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a delight to be here. Let's talk about food. Growing up in the South, I remember, for me, it was a lot of fried food and high-fat food. And there you are in Arkansas with some New Orleans roots to you. What was your diet like growing up? Well, back in, we're talking 40s and 50s now, 1940s and 50s, the four food groups were the Bible of any good homemaker mother's regimen for her family. So you had to have vegetables and meat, dairy, uh, bread, and my mother strictly adhered to that. So you, you said that vegetables were actually part of the, the four food groups there for you. So that, that to me is a little bit surprising. What kind of vegetables are you talking about? Well, they did have a bit of fat associated with them, like mashed potatoes, fried okra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every once in a while we'd have green peas, but they had to have salt and butter on them. Of course. But uh, <laughs> it was pota- meat and potatoes, really, for a, a meal. <laughs> and back then, you know, it was considered to be very healthy. You you were also, for work, you were doing some really physical labor there. You were working for a phone company, is that right? Yes. In uh, 1974, they were looking for women to fill formerly non-traditional jobs. And so I saw an advertisement in the newspaper at AT&T or Southwestern Bell Telephone, looking for women to work in their plant construction. And I thought, well, it'd be great for me to be outdoors. That's really where I love to be. And I was 
a pretty strong person, so I applied. I thought I would get a telephone installer job, but instead they offered me a lineman's job. And I thought, oh, wow, I have to climb all these poles, pull these heavy cables up, operate these big construction trucks. I never even thought about doing that. And certainly back then, women couldn't do that. I mean, it was unproven that women could actually do almost all the things that men do, sometimes a bit differently, but they still, you know, accomplished them and got a good result. And it turned out I not only could do it, I loved doing it. And I stayed, even turned down an early promotion to continue doing it for about three years. Did they try to take it easy on you at all because you were a woman, or were you just kind of thrown right into the fire? Oh, they put me with uh, two very nice burly men and on a truck and sent me out. And the men made it clear that they were okay with the women as long as they could pull their weight. And so that was my goal, and I was able to do that, surprising both me and them. Well, that's such a a macho kind of a profession, I think, even to this day. And I'm thinking back to an interview I did recently Uh, with a woman by the name of Catherine Lawrence Ireland, who was also featured in Your Body and Balance. And she was a member of the Air Force. And she was telling me that in terms of her diet, she felt like she needed to eat exactly what it was that the guys were eating, maybe just in an effort to kind of fit in. So she was eating double cheeseburgers and Cokes for breakfast. Was it kind of similar for you that you were just eating whatever the guys ate? Well, yes, lunch was a stop at often McDonald's, and so, you know, I wasn't diet conscious myself back then. I was still under the four-food group (laughs) regimen, and I I can relate to what she says about fitting in because I once or twice smoked a cigar with the guys. It kind of made me turn green, and I didn't do that anymore. But (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, there, there was pressure to be one of the boys, fit in, and you know, not stand out or be too different and pull your weight. Outside of that, you were also in uh, maybe, do I want to call it bodybuilding or fitness competitions? What were you doing at that point as well? Well, in uh, 1978, that would be four years after I became the lineman, uh, I started running marathons. And then a couple of years later, I had a teenage daughter, and she started working out. And she said, oh, Mom, a couple of my friends and I are entering this Miss Arkansas bodybuilding pageant, and she knew I was going to the gym. And that was primarily to be able to keep climbing the telephone poles. And uh, she said, you should uh, compete with us. Well, I had secretly always wanted to do a competition. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I'll do that. And now then I really had to start watching my diet. And uh, there wasn't a lot of information way back then as to how to diet, uh, except in men's bodybuilding. You know, a couple of the really big men's bodybuilders had written books and did posing and diet suggestions, and so that's what I turned to. And I competed with my daughter and about four of her 
young friends. They were all under 20, I think. And I won. <laughs> Look at you go. And she hasn't forgiven me yet. <laughs> <laughs> you decide at some point when you, I guess, had had enough of that life, you, you made another heck of a career decision. What did you do next? At first, I applied at a corrections officer position, and I was able to pass all the physical fitness, and they offered me a job, and I took it, and I stayed in there for a year, and the police officers would bring in the suspects to me and hand them off and say, well, I'm out of here. You can't leave. (laughs) And I thought, boy... He's got the job I want. So I applied to be a police officer, and then my background in the corrections was very helpful, and I got a job at the local police office. I was in Oregon at this time. And so I, I worked the street for nine years, and then I was promoted to a detective and did that for five years. Let's do a diet check. At this point in your life, had you changed your relationship with food or was it still pretty much those same four food groups that you had been talking about? Well, Chuck, it actually got worse. Uh Uh-oh. All day out on the police beat, high-stress job, usually very active, going from call to call. When I got home and just you know, unable to really eat a very good meal at lunch. When I would get home, I was so stressed, so tired. I went to my favorite junk food, which was cheese dip and chips. And I I knew it wasn't good. I mean, it was canned cheese dip and, you know, just regular old chips. The kind that you could get in a 7-Eleven even? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So that, I, I, even while I knew I shouldn't be doing it, I did it for a very long time. And that's, interestingly, you know, when my problems started with my health. And I, we had talked about, you know, starting to have hot flashes. I was in my early 50s at that time. And I've got to think now, from looking back at what I know now, that the cheese dip and chips was a contributor to that. Let's talk about that, because that's a big part of why you're, you're featured in this book, is when you started to have those hot flashes, they were, they were quite severe, weren't they? They were, uh, especially sitting in a police vehicle, bulletproof vest, uniform, you know, is the one of nice fabric that would breathe, it, but it got, they, when I would have a hot flash, it was very uncomfortable, mm. and couldn't just jump out of the car and fan myself or something. I mean, there was air conditioning, but, you know, you get that heat trapped under that thick vest, and it's pretty uncomfortable. And then at night, I would, you know, start having them and wake up, and so police officer needs to be rested for the work the next day, and it was interfering with that, too. Um, just for the guys who are listening who will never go through um, a hot flash, 
we see we heard what you you described it as and and we see these dramatic portrayals of them on TV um in your own words i mean can you describe maybe what it's like is it like sitting out in the sun and you, and you can't get into any sort of shade or is it like you just feel like you have this fever that you you can't kick what is that like well it's a, it's unique in the sense that it just starts kind of creeping up i'm sure some are faster than others but with me it brought a moistness to my skin and the heat would increase in intensity and then almost as bad as once the heat subsided i would experience chills because of the moisture you know that was on me and mm. so it was a two-part process really for me the gradual increasing of the heat and the dampness and then as it subsided the chill set in it's very much like a chill and fever when you're sick. And it's very unpredictable. I mean, I never knew when it would occur. And I've, I've my friend, women friends, you know, I've observed them with the same predicament. And it's a little hard if it's a severe one, you know, and you're out in a social setting. Some women find it difficult to ignore, and they'll start pulling at their clothes, shirt collars, and fanning, and a few of them will admit it's a hot flash. Many of them won't. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're, you're losing sleep here uh, in the night, how often would that happen? Were you waking up every night? Well, just about at the worst time, yes. And then uh, somehow I, I read something that talked, I guess I probably did a little research on why I'm having these because I you know, wanted to fix them. And I discovered that there was some research that showed that if you took soy, which contained plant estrogens, that they would replace the chemical estrogens in your cells. And the plant estrogens were not only healthier for you, but could reduce these menopause symptoms. And thinking about my cheese dip and chips, that's probably where a lot of the chemicals were coming from. So I did go and buy soy milk and soy protein powder, and I tried it. And every morning I'd fix up a big glass that became my breakfast. And within two or three weeks, the hot flashes diminished, and I really quit having them much at all unless I would forget to take the drink, or I thought, well, I don't need to take the drink anymore. But in a few days to a week, they would return. And so then I would get back on them every morning, and the hot flashes went away. And I said, we're on to something here. This has got to be working. And because you were you were losing sleep, though, before you, you found the, the soy drink there, were you a little bit more moody, a little bit irritable. I know that that can happen to the best of us if we're not getting, you know, a quality sleep at night. I would probably think a few of my friends might agree with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little grouchier. Your journey really doesn't end there. So you, you find these soy drinks, but eventually you start taking a closer look at your diet again, right? Yes. Well, in uh, 2003, I received a an item in the mail 
from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and it had a story about Rodney, a dog that had been a research animal, and it really struck a chord in me. I didn't realize at the time that PCRM was also into diet and and lifestyle changes, but I joined, and uh, over the next few years, I started learning more and more through the publications from PCRM as to how a plant-based diet was much healthier, and uh, I'd always thought I could be a vegetarian. I thought veganism was a bit beyond where I could go, primarily because I didn't know how to cook food that way. <laughs> Growing and, up in the South, I'm not surprised. So I would uh, I would start cutting way back. You know, I gave up the chips and cheese dip. I did make a lot of lifestyle changes or diet changes based on the information I was getting from PCRM. And you also had a, a secret weapon in your family. Your daughter was vegetarian, right? I think my daughter was born a vegetarian. <laughs> she's bragged that she's never eaten an egg. Of course, they appeared on her plate at home, and she re- just absolutely refused. <laughs> she wouldn't eat meat. She's a real animal lover, and that's what motivated her, plus very picky dietary taste. I'm sure she was a, a help as far as being a resource while you were making that change yourself, right? Well, I always thought of her, and, you know, and I would talk to her as to why she wanted that sort of a diet, and yeah, she actually inspired me. And then, you know, I, I met my husband at uh, back in 2000. He was a retired uh, Marine after 20 years, and so he asked me out to dinner and took me to a nice restaurant. And I, when they set his plate in front of him, I'm sure my eyes got wide because it was the largest cut of prime rib, rare, swimming in a pool of red liquid. And I said, "Are you going to eat all that?" And he said, "Just watch." And so. He consumed it all, including the fat. And uh, today, you wouldn't believe that he asked for Kickstarter menus. He loves the uh, barbecue portobellos. He loves portobello burgers. And we've both become big fans of Dr. Bernard. And uh, we'll sit at a lunch table. We're both retired now, so I do have more time to cook. And... Uh, mm-hmm. His name's Larry. He says, oh, Dr. Bernard would approve of this meal. <laughs> sometimes he'll say, mm, Dr. Bernard might not like this. <laughs> it's kind of fun to have Dr. Bernard as our parent watching over us and guiding oh, that's us. that's so funny. <laughs> if it's okay, I'd definitely like to stay in touch with uh, you and Larry. Keep tabs on you guys and let me know how you guys are doing. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Chuck. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you for joining us today and and for lending your story to the new book, Your Body and Balance. I think that there are so many women out there who are hearing this who are just going to be so inspired by your story. And uh, I think that people are going to get a lot of help out of this. So thank you very, very much.
Well, the book is, I've been looking through it. It's really great. It's very thorough. I really like the chapter on avoiding environmental chemicals. I've learned a lot already just looking through it, plus the, all the great recipes. You're going to have to let me know now. Don't forget, you're going to have to let me know how you and Larry like those recipes. Uh, you'll hear from me within a week. There you go. All That's right. I hey. promise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> okay. Anne Friday, what a remarkable, remarkable woman. Think about everything that she did in her life. Think about all of that. And it's really no wonder that she was able to put out these hot flashes because she'd been overcoming barriers since she was a kid, it seemed. That's just what she does. You put an obstacle in front of her, she's going to get right past it. Amazing woman. But let's talk a little bit about science here. What was going on inside of her before the hot flashes finally simmered down? What was causing those sweltering episodes? Why were her hormones going haywire and making the change of life take a heavy toll on her life? What was causing all of that? Well, for that, we're going to be turning to Dr. Neil Barnard. I had the opportunity to sit down with him, and I remember thinking as he was talking, that there are so many women out there who are going to benefit from this information. It's really fascinating to hear him explain why menopause isn't really even a big thing in some cultures. The symptoms there, they're just so mild that women don't even talk about it. But in other cultures, things are running out of control and women are having similar experiences to Anne. So what is going on there? What is the cause? Let's find out right now with Dr. Neil Barnard. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll, sitting across the table from the author of the book, Your Body in Balance, Dr. Neil Barnard. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be here. I just got off the phone with Anne Friday, and I love her. She is such a character. She is so full of life, and she was very, very descriptive talking about what she experienced when she was going through menopause. Hearing her, Dr. Barnard, talk about all of the cop gear she was wearing and having hot flashes, I'm telling you, my heart just went out to her. It was just really remarkable. You got a chance to speak with her as well. Yeah, you could just imagine her on the on the beat with a bulletproof vest and a gun belt and everything, and then the hot flashes arrive. She says, you know, I can't strip all this stuff off. Um, yeah, anyway, but uh, but it was amazing that she sh- shared what did work for her. So, And she felt helpless for a little while when she first started going through the change of life. And it wasn't until a little bit into it that she was able to discover that food plays – a big role here in terms of menopause. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it does. There have been so many misunderstandings about menopause. And to tell you the truth, I think the most malicious one was that some people would write that menopause is a sign that women have just reached old age. Um, You're 50 years old. Nature didn't ever figure you would live that long anyway. You're past your sell-by date. Your body's shutting down. Um, And people have written this seriously. Um, and, And by the way, let me say clearly 
that is hooey. There is nothing nothing to it at all. And the the argument goes that if you look back a couple hundred years, the average lifespan might only have been 45 or 50 or something like that. But the reason for that isn't that people weren't living to be 80 and 85 years old. They were. But there was a lot of infant mortality, too. And that messes up the average. Ah. So, So the average lifespan might have been 45 or 50. But people, if you make it past the infections of early life, um, you're likely to, to, to live uh, a good long life. Uh, menopause just means that this is not a time when you need a toddler on your kitchen floor. And so, <laughs> so the reproductive window is finished. Let's go on. You, now you've got a lot of life to live. Um, so now is not a time for, for giving birth. Uh, menopause is a totally normal part of life. It is not a diagnosis. It is not a disease. It is normal. Gotcha. It's uh, you basically can't avoid it, right? Uh, if you're a woman, um, let's let's talk about hormones here because this is very much a, a hormonal-driven right. thing. If I'm not mistaken here, um, I want to focus in first. We talk a lot about plant-based diets on the show, so let's actually talk about the role that animal products play in terms of menopause. Can that bring it on earlier? Can it make the symptoms more severe? I think I think it can. Um, the evidence started here really with uh, countries that were following mostly plant-based diets. Uh, Japan is the classic one, mm-hmm. where if you looked at Japan in the 1960s, it was a rice-based diet, um, noodles, vegetables, relatively little animal products. And the animal products were used on top of the rice right. a, as a flavoring so in small amounts. Uh, dairy, not really part of the, of the diet to any substantial degree. And hot, there was no Japanese word for hot flashes. Uh, and in fact, um, anthropologists, medical anthropologists would, would interview women. What are you experiencing? And they just wouldn't talk about hot flashes. And the first question was, maybe they're reticent. Maybe they're shy. Uh, and so there were much more elaborate interviews with, with women and with their physicians. And they would say, yeah, um, some women report a backache. No, no, that's how I work. <laughs> Trying to right, right. Um, they just wouldn't. Ta- there, there just really wasn't much in the way of hot flashes until uh, McDonald's arrived and Wendy's and the other hot, uh, fast food chains and the diet westernized. Uh, more meat, less rice, more dairy. And what you started to see is many things coming in. Breast cancer came in, diabetes came in, and hot flashes started to become more common. But it wasn't only Japan. The same phenomenon happened in China. And the same thing also seemed to happen in, in the rural parts of Mexico, like the Yucatan Peninsula, where the, the traditional diet was lots of beans, corn, and whether it was poverty or culture that kept people away from eating a lot of meat and so forth, um, that now has, has changed. But in all of these areas, there really was not a lot of menopausal symptomatology. Mm. Um, you stop having kids, that's kind of it. Right. Uh, but now... Uh, there are big, big issues with this. And, and what we think is, is going on is that a diet high in animal products followed year after year after year elevates the amount of estrogen in a woman's blood. So it's maintained at a high level. Then at menopause, the ovaries decide we're done. So the amount of estrogen in the blood goes from a high level, bang, crashing down to a very low level, and that just sends waves of symptoms going on for, in some cases, years. We've talked... Uh ad nauseum about dairy uh, and and the estrogens that are found in that. Would I be correct in assuming that a diet that is heavy in dairy can actually bring about a more severe 
change of life, as it were. We presume that's one of the big contributors. Um, and dairy products come from cows who are impregnated uh, in, in most cases. Uh, the, the dairy, well, in all cases, uh, cows on dairy farms are artificially inseminated annually. And their pregnancy lasts about three quarters of the year, about nine months. And a, a, a cow makes estrogen anyway. But when she's pregnant, she makes a lot more estrogen. It gets in the milk and it gets into the cheese. And you can think, well, how much could there be in a slice of cheese? Mm. Not much. It's, it's just a trace. But your average person consumes 35 pounds of it every year wow. in, in America. That's a lot of cheese. Plus ice cream, plus yogurt, plus milk, plus butter, plus all the dairy products that are cooked into the cookies and cakes and pies and soups and everything else. And so you're getting a substantial enough amount that added to the estrogen, which you already have, can tip you into trouble. Here's an interesting one. Um, if if uh, a diet that's heavy in fat and animal products is bringing about puberty in young women earlier, is it also shutting the, the window for uh, fertility earlier as well, bringing about earlier menopause. I suspect it does the opposite. I suspect it extends it. Really? And which is not good. Uh, we've known for a long time that the more waves of, of estrogen cycling, uh, a woman's monthly cycle, the more of those you have, the higher your risk of, of breast cancer down the road. Gotcha. So nature, if, if I can refer to nature as an animate being, nature's big idea here was that estrogens are dangerous, but we need to reproduce so we'll have a reproductive window between menarche and menopause, and we'll keep that relatively short. And if you look back in the 1800s, menarche, the, the onset of the first period, was oh, around age 18, something like that. And it's gradually dropped, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13. Um, and menopause may go the other direction. Um, we, I think this is a hormonal aberration. Mm. Um, what do we know about fiber? And how that can help remove excess estrogen in the body. Very important. Um, your body has a way of getting rid of things that don't belong. <laughs> and and we, all hormones, e estrogen is a hormone. It, it is made in the ovaries and some of it is made elsewhere. And it will get into the blood and it regulates your reproductive function. But if you have extra, your liver will remove it. And it sends it down through the bile duct to the intestinal tract and fiber carries it away. So, so here, here's the problem. Americans don't eat fiber. Vegetables, what's that? Uh, beans, that's something my grandparents have. They're neglecting all these high-fiber plant-based mm -hmm. foods. And without fiber in your intestinal tract, you reabsorb those estrogens back into, into circula circulation. It's called enterohepatic circulation. And it just means that a woman is recycling her own estrogen over and over and over again. And so year after year, she's habituated to this high level of estrogen. And at menopause, like it or not, your estrogen level is going to fall and you have more uh, symptoms. At least that's the, the theory. All right, so we've been talking about the physical symptoms of menopause. What are some of the psychological symptoms that can accompany it? Um, a couple of things. Um, one is that you'll find that your mood can become, uh, the, the word really would be labile, meaning changeable. Um, and sometimes women will say, what, what, what was that? I, I, I was flirting with the mailman. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> they'll say, good, is this me? Um, so, so many women will say, you know, my mood is, is, um, is changeable. Uh, and you can become moody, like, like depressed. And th th by the way, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, this, this, is, this is the effect of, of menopause. This happens to many women, and it's a normal thing. The other thing that can be very frightening for many women is uh, memory lapses. 
um, they'll feel like, oh, I'm, I must be getting old. Um, and it's, you'll feel very much the way you might feel if you didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, mm. where your, your memory is just, uh, for names and for words, it's, it's just gaps. Uh, it will come back. It will, it will come back. But uh, the, this can be frightening. And, and the hot flashes themselves. Um, f- uh, f- for some women, they don't have, have them. So some, for some women, they're mild. But for, for, some, for other women, they're rough. Um, you're sitting in a meeting, and it comes. It's this heat that starts in your chest, and you well up like you're in a sauna. And then 90 seconds or two minutes later, bang, it's done. Right. Except then what happens? Chills come in. And this can happen during the day and then uh, at night. And it can happen four or five times at night. And think about what kind of sleep are you going to get. Mm. And then the next morning, your memory is shot because you didn't sleep well. So it, it can be distressing for people. What, what exactly is a hot flash? Like what is going on in the body to cause that rush of heat? Yes, it's, it's, an, it's an endocrine reaction that is coming. And, it, and the, the, there's a lot we don't know about hot flashes. Why do they arise at that time and why do they sometimes stop? Six months later, they come back, but it appears to be uh, a response to what you might refer to as estrogen withdrawal. Uh, good news. Uh, there are some things that we can do about it. Not perfect, but there are a couple of things that you can do. Uh, one is that weight loss helps with many things, and this is one of them, mm. that when women lose weight, for whatever reason, hot flashes do seem to diminish. Um, there are lots of supplements. You can go to the store, and they will say get black cohosh and this one and the other one. Frankly, in my read of the literature, they don't work very well, except um, soy isoflavones may. Um, the soybean mm. consumed throughout Asia uh, and understandably has been tested for its effect on, um, on hot flashes. And it doesn't help everybody, but maybe 40% of women discover some benefit from having soy-based foods. What I suspect could be the case is it that if women actually go beyond just having the occasional tofu and having the higher soy foods, maybe like edamame or even uh, soy protein powders, um, and you can get them, you can get them organic and so forth, uh, there's some evidence that it almost works like a medicine right. to knock out the, the hot flashes. Before we wrap this up, um, I'm thinking to Lindsay Nixon, who did these wonderful recipes in the book. Um, not menopause, but she was having just the worst menstrual cramping right. that I think I've ever heard anybody talk about. And what is what is the connection here between food and the cramping and what was happening with her? Okay, and that's at the other end of the reproductive right, exactly. window. Exactly. But, but, but it's also an estrogen issue. So the ovaries make estrogen, to, and they go to the to the uterus and they thicken up the uterine lining to get ready for pregnancy in the same way as in a man's body the testes make testosterone that go to the man's brain and make him want to run for president right <laughs> <laughs> or well or wear ill-fitting clothes or or become a rodeo star <laughs> we'll forget the politics for now okay right, so, right. sorry about that okay so the ovaries make estrogens they go to a woman's uterus and they thicken the the lining the inner lining of the uterus is the endometrium it's it's a little soft cushion where a baby might end up um, that's what nature was thinking so the endometrial layer thickens up every month under the influence of, of estrogen at the end of the month the disappointed uterus we're not pregnant it discharges all that lining mm. and if it thickens up too much you get more cramps so Let's say you ate cheese. Cheese contains estrogens because it came from the cow. Right. Um, let's say you're not having any fiber, so you're not able to get rid of the excess estrogens. The amount of estrogen in your body builds up. 
it thickens that endometrial lining too much. And so at the end of the month, you have a stronger flow, more clotting, uh, and a lot worse cramps. And your PMS can be worse because that lining creates what are called prostaglandins that cause cramping, but they also go to the brain and make you feel rotten. So you go on a healthy vegan diet, and ideally a really low-fat vegan diet. Your estrogen is still adequate for fertility, but you don't have that excess thickening of the endometrium. Just a little bit. Gotcha. And so you don't have the cramps at the end of the month. Your PMS is not so bad. You don't have this long, protracted flow. You don't have a lot of clotting. It's just your period comes and your period goes. And i got to tell you, Chuck, that was really the first thing that made me want to write Your Body in Balance, only because I started – when we had done this research on menstrual pain and showed that a vegan diet works, a low-fat, healthy, totally plant-based diet will reduce all of these symptoms – I started imagining how many 15-year-old girls are not going to go to gym that day um, or they're not going to the debate squad or they're not going out to the movies or whatever. They're lying in bed with a, with a, a hot pad. And they say, Mom, what can I do? I want to see the doctor. And they say, this is part of being a woman. Or this is what God had in mind for you. I mean, that had nothing to do with it. This is all about the cheese sandwich that you learned to eat in school. And the diet that, that, that your culture has given to you. So it's making you suffer in a way that you shouldn't. And until you're 50 years old and finally go through menopause, you're going to have this, this misery every single month. And menstrual cramps won't kill you, although they might feel like they will. <laughs> but the same hormonal changes that lead to cramps lead to endometriosis lead to fertility issues, and I think set you up for a worse menopausal symptoms, and after that, a higher risk of breast cancer. So thinking of that 14-year-old kid, let's get her off on a, a, better, uh, a better start in life right? Um, so that the, the symptoms that could ultimately lead to disaster down the road can be stopped right now. Now, I know that's kind of a complicated thought. And so when I wrote Your Body in Balance, I know people might think um, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. But I know this is a new idea that maybe your menstrual cramps can be cured by food. But my thought is let's put it to work. Yeah. Let's do it. And you know what I want to do? I I, want to put a a capper on this segment. So um, I want to actually just jump right over to the conversation that I had with Lindsay where she details how just by changing her diet, all of that pain, all of that cramping you were talking about just goes away. I think that the listeners are really going to be astonished by what it is that she had to say. You'll hear her talk about in great detail how she was doubled over the couch trying to put pressure on that abdomen just to make the pain go away. And when that didn't work, begging her roommate to stand on her tummy to make it go away. But what did make it go away, Dr. Barnard, was when she made changes to her diet. Yeah. It's a heck of a story. Um, When I started working with Lindsay for the recipes in this book, and Lindsay is my hero. She's a terrific recipe developer, just wonderful. And her uh, work with the Happy Herbivore, she's just a genius. Um, When she sent me the 65 recipes that are in your body in balance, um, she included a note, which you'll read in the book, where she talks about exactly this, and it bowled me over. I had no idea that she had gone through all that, and the diet was her, her answer, too. And so she and I uh, would love it if other people will, will help their family, their, their families to take advantage of it. Dr. Neil Barnard, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you, Chuck. 
continuing here on the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee the special your body in balance series and my next guest is the author of the best-selling happy herbivore cookbooks she's also the creator of the very first plant-based meal plan service how cool is that she's an innovator and that plant-based uh Plant service. That's a mouthful. Anyway, that is an app now. You know it as the meal mentor. Uh, she is also the uh, <laughs> the curator, the recipe strategist, as I will call it, for Dr. Barnard's new book, Your Body in Balance. With that, we welcome Lindsay Nixon to the show. Welcome. Hi. I like, would you say a recipe strategist? Recipe strategist. I like that. I'm going to put that on my, um, my business card now. <laughs> go for it. Absolutely go for it. It sounds so cool, right? Um, but anyway, you are responsible for all of the recipes that are in Dr. Barnard's book. And we're going to be talking about that in mm-hmm. just a little bit. But first, like, I think that it's important that people understand that you created these because it's a passion of yours. You have a journey that brought you to this moment. What is your story? Well, to be honest, when Dr. Bernard came to me, it didn't matter what the book was going to be about. It could have been about men's health. And I'd have been like, yes, I'm working with you because I just love him. I love what PCRM does. But when he started to tell me about the book, I actually started to well up on the phone. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he was kind of like, okay, she's sad what I do. Um, And I was just like, I had the worst like period and menstrual cramps and I was losing my life. I missed school and work. And um, I know we're going to dig into a little more specifics, but nobody told me that diet could help me. Nobody told me that. And it was just something I noticed because I had become vegan and plant-based for ethical reasons. I got relief. But if someone could have talked to me about it, if that information could be out there that plants can help your period, plants can help with all sorts of hormonal issues in the body, I could have not suffered for 12 years. Here's something that I've learned from the male perspective when you're talking about these types of issues is I had no idea. And I think that this is true for so many guys that so many women actually suffer so severely from these cramps, this pain every single month. And it's just unrelenting. And you mentioned that it took a, a just a horrible toll on your life. As I understand it, what I read in the book was you were really only 21 or 22 years old when you were in the doctor's office just begging for help. Yeah, I I mean, they had been bad for a number of years at that point, but I knew I really was in a bad way because my roommate had been in a car accident some months before and she was all better, but I started stealing her pain medication because the pain was so bad that I couldn't take enough time or leave. And I felt really bad, but at the same time, like stealing from her, but at the same time, I just was in such extreme pain that I couldn't function. I was, it was, I can't even describe the pain to another person. It was beyond a 10 on a scale of one to 10. And so I went to my doctor and he wanted to give me prescription painkillers. And it's just like, well, I can't take those every month for the rest of my life. That doesn't right. seem healthy. Um, I mean, yeah, they worked. Like they reduced the pain, but I, I remember I had to, I couldn't take any sick days at work or at school because I had to save them for when I got my period. So like if I had the flu, I still had to go to class or to my work because you only get so many days or you don't get to opt out of certain exams or you only get so many days a year, you have to go unpaid and I couldn't do that. So I would have to hoard my like my sick days to stay home with cramps. 
And then when I actually was sick and needed to rest, I'd have to go force myself to work because I had to hoard my little days. And being on that cycle, I mean, you probably knew when this was coming. You were just probably dreading knowing, okay, this is coming in one day, two days, whatever. I wouldn't go on trips. Like there was this like girls trip, a bunch of people were going on and I knew that my period was going to come. And I was like, well, I'm not going to spend $800 to go on vacation when I'm just going to lay in a hotel room and be in pain. Like, I'm not going to do that in college and you have no money. Mm. And so, um, and there's other times too, like I worked as a lawyer for a long time and I can remember being like, can I change the court case date? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Like, I mean, it's kind of, hmm, but I mean, I can't stand in court with like, you know, abdominal cramping. So yeah, it was rough. It was really rough. I mean, obviously, nobody also wants to be on painkillers for the rest of their life either. I mean, that's that's kind of a scary prospect in itself. Right. And I didn't know it at the time. Now you see commercials all the time like, do you have chronic constipation from painkillers? But that wasn't really those were those commercials weren't around. And because I had taken them so long, I did start having those issues. I did start having like constipation and like GI issues. And so then I was going to like those doctors and they're like, well, it's because you take so much pain meds. And I'm like, but I don't really, but I have to because otherwise I can't even function. It just was a, it was a mess. It was a huge. And like you said, I knew I'm like doing the math. I'm 20. I want to live to hundred, but even if I only lived to 80, that's 60 years of painkillers. Yeah. Or maybe 40 years. If I had menopause early, I was just like, this is not realistic. I mean, so I'll just ask you because it's so much in the news right now. Were you ever worried about the addiction component that can come with that? I wasn't at the time, but now looking back, I think if I had been on them for a long time, I do think that could have been a problem for me. I mean, it also says something that I was willing to go steal my roommate's medicine. I mean, it wasn't to get high, but it was just to get relief. And I did notice towards the end that they weren't working as good and I probably was going to have to go to a higher amount, which that escalates things. It has to be scary that you have to resort to taking narcotics, essentially, to reduce this pain. And it's a pain that comes every single month, like we said. It's just you, you probably felt like there was nothing you could do. Oh, I felt completely helpless, completely powerless. Um, I can remember, like, my roommate came home and I, was, I had literally folded myself over a chair, like a dining room chair, trying to get pressure to that area because it hurts so bad and I was just like can you stand on me and she's like what and I'm like I just feel like if you could stand on me it won't hurt as bad and she was just like I'm gonna hurt you and like nothing can hurt more than this and to her credit she did it she was a, a lovely roommate and she was very understanding when I later explained I pinched <laughs> her pain medicine but um but she stressed concern, too, because this wasn't happening to her. Like, sure, she got some zits and maybe a little bit of cramping, but it wasn't like me. It wasn't – she saw what I was going through, and she was concerned. She was just like, this doesn't seem right. And I'm like, but there's nothing anybody can do for me. My doctor keeps putting me on different birth controls. They're not helping. And then um, I think when I was 21, 22, is the end of college, he wanted to put me on hormone replacement therapy. And like my friend's moms were on that for menopause. So I was like, why, why do you want to put me on this? I'm 22. Jeez, Louise. I mean, what a thing. And you were talking about missing class and, and missing work. Right. Were your, were your grades suffering at all? I did well in school. Um, but I imagine it probably would have been easier or better for me if I wasn't missing all that time. I knew with work, it was a real problem because, um, I would try to stack my schedule 
because it was like different shifts. And so I would try to plan it accordingly, but it wasn't like clockwork. Like I couldn't know for sure. I'm going to get cramps at two o'clock on Thursday. And so I would either have to call out, which, you know, that doesn't sit well with your, your boss when you're just like calling out. And I would often call my coworkers and initially people were usually pretty good about switching shifts, but you know, after months and months of always like randomly switching shifts and you either not picking them up because you can't, or, you know, people stop being so agreeable and, right. you know, it was just, it was hard and I was scared and I had two jobs. And so trying to balance it all was just crazy. And then, um, in law school, it was even worse because in law school during the day I worked in a law firm and then I went to my law classes at night and then I was supposed to study like in my break between work and school. And then again at night and, trying to like just balance that's hard enough but now factor in that I'm losing two and three and four days and sometimes it would happen midweek it didn't happen on the weekend so I couldn't even like go to work on the weekend or go to class on the weekend so it was just it was was really hard to try to manage but like I was like what else can I do this thing's gonna keep coming every month right right you're, you're at your wits end and how many days would this typically last oh the pain well the, 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 the like I can't leave my house pain was two days but then the pain I can manage, I just have really bad cramps, would be like another four days. Right. And so like, like the real like so I definitely miss two days, but then I'd be half my best self at school or work or whatever the other days. And when you were housebound, you said that you wanted your roommate to stand on you. You know, you just thought that that could make the pain magically oh, yeah. disappear. Yeah. So, you know, things like a heating Pressure pad. What, 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 oh, did I you find any help? Okay. Out. Yeah, heating pads helped, medicine helped, my roommate standing on me helped, bending over the chair helped. Um, but I don't know. And I tried other things too. Like uh, I tried like cleaning up my diet. I wasn't plant-based or vegan, but I tried to like, you know, not live on pizza like a college student. Sure. And I tried going to the gym and a bunch of people at the gym were like, oh, well, if you do like core exercises. So I was like an ab superstar. Like I did like so many crunches. Um, so I did all these like, things. There's like this weird mermaid thing you do off a bench. Like I did it all. And maybe it helped a little bit. Yeah, I know it's funny. Um, maybe it helps a little bit, but mostly like the pain was just horrible. And I remember I met my husband at the end of college and when I was in law school and still having all this happen, I told him, I'm like, if we ever get good insurance, because I had crappy school insurance and he didn't have very good insurance either. I'm like, if we ever get good insurance, I want to get a hysterectomy. And my husband was like, oh, but you're so young, you know? And I was like, I cannot live my life like this. I cannot be a lawyer and go through life like this. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Because at this point, it had already been almost 10 years. And I was like, I just, this is not manageable. My quality of life is suffering. And so I actually remember Googling and finding out that if I went to Denmark, there's a couple of countries in Europe where I could get a hysterectomy at 25, but like you, you really couldn't in the United States, I don't think. But I remember like sitting there researching, like I gotta figure out how I can do this. Like as extreme as it is, I can't live like this. And that is such a young age and you know, I obviously don't know whether children were even in the remote picture for you at that point, but even being 25 and just having that choice ripped away from you, did that weigh on you at all? Yeah. When my husband and I got engaged, 
Um, you, you know, there's a lot of things you talk about and children are one of them. And for me, I was like, I don't, I can't even imagine how bad my cramps would be if I went off birth control. So I don't even know that I could ever go off birth control to even try to get pregnant because I don't know that I could deal with that pain. And then there was the issue of like, if you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant, you can't be on pain medicine, the pain medicine. And I also thought about that too. Like I've been on all this medicine. I don't know. Is that affecting me? Um, but mostly I was just like, I can't, I just, the pain was so bad. And I was just like, I can't even like think about it. And so my husband's like, well, you know, I, I just wanted to be married to you. He's such a sweetie. He's like, and so we'll just see, I guess how this works out. But he was supportive, but I could also tell that he was just like, oh my gosh, you're like 23 years old. Like you should not be talking about a hysterectomy yeah. when you're 25. Cause it's like, when, you know, when we're out of, when I'm out of school and we both have good insurance. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad that you had somebody there that was so supportive for you. I mean, I would imagine like right. when you just doubled over in pain, you probably felt like you were really alone too. I did, I did, and like it was really. Um, and I, I blogged a little bit about this on Happy Herbivore, but like it was like it's a little TMI. But I had so much flow too that that was another issue. Like I was having to bring multiple outfits with me wherever I went because there was no feminine product that could fully contain what happened in my body and so there was just like that whole part of my life too that even if my cramps were like on the more manageable side like if it was past the two days of you know immobilization I still couldn't really live my life like I couldn't go to the gym I couldn't go out with my girlfriends like even going to school or work was like really stressful because I was like constantly in the bathroom checking or changing or oh it's just like I said I mean I know it sounds crazy to think a 23, 24, 25 year old wanted a hysterectomy, but when you consider what I was dealing with after, and this was a whole week, every month, when you, the whole time, it's just like, of course, like I only had three weeks of relief. Like that's not life. That's three fourths of life. Right. Yeah. That is, that is no way to go through life. Uh, right. That's for sure. Um, you mentioned a while back that you had already looked at cleaning up your diet. What what kind of yeah. told you like you might want to start looking in that area? I mean, I knew I wasn't eating the best. Like I, like I said, typical college and then law student, which is still another kind of college student. So I was eating, you know, like fast food or sandwiches. Like oh, there there's a subway. Let me get that. And so I thought like, okay, maybe. If I try to eat out less and stop eating all this, you know, stop having, you know, like my favorite thing to do is I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and get like a coffee and a muffin. Like maybe if I would just make the muffins myself or um, if I would like pack a peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of getting like the Italian sub or whatever, like maybe that would help. And in some ways it did. Like I definitely felt a little bit better. I lost a little bit of weight. So at what point did going plant-based kind of enter your realm? You said, I think that you said that you did it for ethical reasons, right? Right. That was part of my motivation. So as this was all sort of happening to me, um, I had some, in addition to all the lovely cramping and period problems, I started having irregular pap smears. And my doctor was really concerned that there was like a lot of precancerous cells in my lady area. And I had to have them like burned off or cut off. I don't remember what they did. And so that was really scary for me. And so I started reading about, and like I said, I was already vegetarian because I really loved animals. And so I started reading about cancer and preventing cancer. And somebody, I don't even remember who, turned me on to the China study. And that just like blew my mind. And so I then um, 
learning more about like vegan, I started getting involved. I started reading stuff on like PETA. I think I found PCRM and I just was like, oh yeah, actually if you love animals, <laughs> dairy and eggs are really not supporting them. Like it's still pretty bad what's happening, you know? So I just made the decision like to be vegan plant-based, really powered by my love of animals, but also really concerned about cancer. I'd had grandparents die of cancer. I saw what that looked like, didn't want that for myself. And so I just, I don't know. And it's funny because I wasn't even thinking about my lady problems. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about my period or my pain. I was just like, oh, this might clear up my acne and prevent the cancer. <laughs> this might clear up that. And okay, yeah, I'm going to try this. So how long was it before that you noticed like, well, wait a minute. I'm not doubled over on the couch anymore. Right. I don't have to ask anybody to stand on me. Yeah. When did that kind of like, what is happening it to me? It was miraculous. It was almost spontaneous. Like the second month, I just noticed I hadn't taken any of my pain pills. Like I just, I don't know, I was going in the bathroom, brush my teeth and I saw them there and I realized that I hadn't used them. And I was like, huh, wow. And I mean, I still had some cramping, but it wasn't like the immobilization. And then the next month I noticed I wasn't buying as many feminine products. And then I also noticed I didn't need my pain meds and that it was actually like kind of manageable. I'm like, is this how other people live? <laughs> is this how all other women <laughs> live? Um, and at first, of course, like I'm doubting the diet. I'm like, maybe it's the birth control even though I'd been on the same birth control forever. Um, but no, and then it just kept getting better and better and better. Like every month I saw an improvement. And after I'd been vegan for a couple of months, I really got into learning more. And that's when I became more plant-based. Like I wasn't just living off like pasta and Boca burgers. Like I really was like, okay, let's eat salads. Let's eat kale. Let's eat beans. Let's eat brown rice. Like I really kind of, and that's when the changes really happened. Like I basically didn't even experience it anymore. Like, yeah, I still had a period every month, but like if I had cramping, it was minor. It only lasted a couple of days. It was very light. I didn't miss work. I didn't miss school. I didn't miss activities. I just managed. Like, it was just like, yeah, it's this thing that's also currently happening, but it wasn't this thing that took my life over. And my husband was like, I can't believe it. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, of all the benefits I was expecting by adopting a plant-based diet, that wasn't even within my periphery. And yet it was probably the first one I noticed. And to hear you talk about this and to see you talk about this, I mean, you are just, you are seem just as enthusiastic today as that day that you had the epiphany, like, oh, holy yeah. God, I'm normal now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just like, I mean, it's been years, but I still remember how bad it was. And how just helpless I felt and like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this like crazy surgery or something to ever be able to live a normal life. And now it's just like, oh, like I don't even think about it anymore. Like sometimes it shows up and I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> Whereas before I'm like <laughs> watching the calendar, like, oh no, it's like four more days. I only have four more days. Let me get everything done. Let me study as much as I can. Yeah. So no more sneaking pain meds, no more no worrying about sitting off, no more worrying about sitting out vacations, missing work, all of that good stuff. Like you're, you're living your best life now. Right. Huh? Yeah. And to think like, I almost missed it. Like before we started recording, I talked about how um, my husband went snowboarding today and it's like, I wouldn't have been able to do that before. I, I but now it doesn't matter what day of the month it is. I could go. Let's go. Have, go. Fun. have fun. Yeah. Whereas before it'd be like, 
I don't know. I'm going to be able to, mm, mm, probably not. And even if I did go, having to be constantly worried, like, oh, I don't know, is it going to hurt really bad if I stay out any longer? Oh, it's just, no. So when did you decide, I mean, like, like I said, you were super, super passionate about this. Clearly, when did you decide, like, man, this isn't just helping me. Like, I need to get this out there to the masses. You kind of have devoted your life now to this. Right. Um, I saw a lot of positive changes. Like, I had stomach issues that cleared up. I had... Um, just a lot of benefits. And then my sister joined me shortly thereafter. And her story is really remarkable. She couldn't breathe. She had a um, constant stuffed up nose, had been to all specialists, nothing helped for her. She came and visited me in New York City. And I was like, you know, I don't care what you do. But we're, you know, vegan in the apartment. And we don't eat animal products. And she's like, yeah, I'll try it for a week. She could breathe. And wow. So she ended in up New York home. City, no less. New York City. And at first she was like, maybe I need to move to New York. I'm like, yeah, because it's the very clean air of New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she went home and resumed her old lifestyle and she clogged up again. And so I'm like, can you just entertain me and go plant-based vegan for like a week and see if it happens again? And it did. And so she, I mean, she's amazing. Like her story was amazing. So I just became really passionate. It was like, I got to tell people about this. So I started my blog. I started sharing my experience. Um, My husband joined me about a year later and he fixed his eczema. He lost like 40 pounds. Like my husband had remarkable changes. And so it's just been my mission ever since to tell people, but it's funny because of all the things I talk about and people ask me about, they never ask me about reproductive health or my period or anything. It's always like, well, did your skin clear? Did you lose weight? Did you sleep better? Did you get rid of your, I got rid of my migraines. People love to ask me about that. But now in the last couple of years, especially as I've, I hear a lot of women struggling with like PCOS and all these other sort of, which I know Neil talks about in the book. And a lot of women write me and ask like, can a plant-based diet help? And I just want to like scream like, yes, if it's anything hormonally related, a plant-based diet can probably help you. Um, And like, that's just, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I've met women who've, you know, they were told they could never have children who now have kids. I know some of them are in your book or in Neil's book. And it's just like, so now I really want to get that message out there because it's more than just, um, you know, things like the big things like migraines or acne or skin or cancer. Those are all huge and it's important, but it's also really important that women know all these hormonal things we keep hearing about. We are not powerless necessarily. Like we are not necessarily helpless to the hormones. Like we can use food to get balance. And Neil's book, that's why I'm just so glad he wrote it because I wish I'd had that book or somebody had read that book and could tell me like, Hey, have you considered maybe just eating some beans and rice? For sure. To see if then you don't need to ask your roommate to stand on you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are so many remarkable stories Mm -hmm. in this book. You're talking about PCOS. I spoke with Alice and Tierney. Her change is just remarkable. So she's going to be on an upcoming episode. Uh, Endometriosis, Catherine Lawrence. I I went and I visited her down in Texas, mm-hmm. and her story is just second to none. Oh, I mean, God, I... on the operating table, about to get the hysterectomy, and the doctor closes her back up and says, "No, it's gone." Yeah, you know, unbelievable. So, so many unreal stories here, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that link between your diet and hormone and that food science there—it's just—it's un real oh, and yeah. this that's why this book i'm not trying to be a salesman but this book is really a, a must read i mean there's something in there for everybody right and even if you think like oh everything's fine like this book will still make your life even better 
like his just having read so much of it to write the recipes, I was like, Oh, I could change that. And it's, I saw improvements and uh, yeah, it's such an important book and it's an important book to know because I have friends now who come to me and they're like, I'm premenopausal. I can't believe it. I'm only 40. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I have a book that I know will be great for you because like Neil just really and his and he backs everything with so many studies it's amazing let's mm-hmm. talk about this because you uh, are the recipe strategist, the recipe strategist for your yeah for your body imbalance and so you guys got together and you you laid out based off of the stories that were in here and the science that Neil yeah. was presenting all of these amazing recipes, I believe it's two weeks worth of recipes that you lay out breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Well, there's, I think, 65 total recipes in the book, but we did give people a breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two weeks because, you know, it's hard to know where to get started, especially if you're feeling really overwhelmed. What was the process like for you getting started to make these recipes? I mean, how much time did this take? Were these some of your favorites? Did you create all of these from scratch? So there's definitely a lot of favorites in there. Um, I picked some recipes that I knew because you mentioned earlier that I have um, a meal plan service and the Meal Mentor app. And so I picked a few from there that I knew the ladies really loved. And I also kind of just thought about his guidelines. Like Neil really wants to do a very plant-centered diet. Like, it's not just vegan. It's like, you know, he wants to see people eating vegetables, colors, lots of colors. He wants to see whole grains. He wants to see some plant-based proteins. And so I really thought about that. And also just variety. But another thing that was really important for me, too, was when I first switched over to this lifestyle, I just thought, like, I was just going to be limited to, like, soups and salads. And I wanted to include soups and salads because those are wonderful. But I also wanted to include, like, so much more like burgers and things like that so that people could see that this way of life is wonderful and diverse and you're not just living on like the sad salad. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you go yeah. to a restaurant and you think, oh, I'm stuck with the garden salad. But actually there are other choices and you can create choices. But um, for me, I just thought like, so I'm always going to get stuck with pasta or salad or a soup. And I wanted to show like you can have these really gorgeous like you know, fuller meals. And I mean, I like a soup and I like a salad and I love pasta, but I also like those really like serious plant entrees. Harumph, serious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's, that's that stigma out there for people who aren't familiar with a plant-based diet. It really is funny. And I laugh because I thought the same thing right, for years did. and years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, I find that I'm eating more variety of food now than I ever did before. Oh, totally. Totally me too. I mean, it must have been a fun process for you too to put all this together. It was. It was really fun. And it was really cool because I would write these recipes and I'd send them off and then everyone at PCRM would make them and then tell me what they thought. And it was really just cool to see all the different kind of opinions and like what people thought of them or what their kids thought. And it was it was the best process. Like I've written six cookbooks before this one. And this was my favorite by far, by far. All right. That's a heck of a tease. So Lindsay Nixon, thank you so very much for your time today. You have a remarkable story. I am so happy for you that you were able to uh, discover this diet, not for the reason that you thought was going to happen. uh, But I will say that your complexion looks fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. But but I I am much happier for you that uh, you're no longer doubled over in pain. Yes. Lindsay Nixon, what a story. And what a cook. What a cook she is. It's recipe time now here on the Exam Room Podcast, and she's here to lend us her talents. 
Last week, we looked at breakfast from day two of the menu in Your Body Imbalance. And this week, well, it only makes sense to do lunch, right? Of course. And this is a delicious feast of Mediterranean croquettes and bayou quinoa. All good, all delicious, all gourmet, yet easy to make and all whipped together to help get your hormones back in balance. I hope you're hungry because it is lunchtime here on the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Last week, we looked at breakfast from day two of the menu that's laid out so beautifully in your body and balance. And now it is lunchtime, my friend. So put down those pens, put down those pencils, turn away from your keyboard because it is time to take that lunch break. And to take that lunch break with us today is the incomparable Lindsay Nixon. She is the happy herbivore. Uh, She's got these best-selling cookbooks that are just tremendous. She is the creator of the very first plant-based meal plan service, which is now an app as well. We're talking about Meal Mentor. But today, Lindsay S. Nixon here on the Exam Room Podcast, we are going to be talking about Mediterranean croquettes with tzatziki sauce and bayou quinoa. You got my mouth watering right there. (laughs) So let's talk about this. We had butternut uh, tacos for breakfast, and now we got ourselves another gourmet dish for lunch. How did you come up with this recipe? Well, it sounds gourmet and it looks gourmet, but it's really easy to make, which is like the best part of this recipe. Um, So for the Mediterranean croquettes, my husband really likes bean burgers. He would eat them every day for every meal. And I I love them, but I really get tired of them. And I was like, how can I make it? different (laughs) and so I was like oh I could do like a Mediterranean version and so it's all set to do like a nice like Mediterranean bean burger situation and then I realized I had no bread Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh so I was like so I guess we're not doing burgers and so I was like we're gonna be fancy with our uh, croquettes and so I just did like this Mexican croquette which has like lentils and rice and all these beautiful seasonings in it but then I also knew because like you know, on a burger, you've got a bun, you've got lettuce and tomato and maybe ketchup and mustard. You've got stuff going on with it. So I knew I couldn't just sort of hand him this like patty. And so I was like, oh, what kind of sauce can I put on there? And so I thought, oh, yeah, tzatziki sauce. Everyone loves that. And so I made one. And normally they're made with like a yogurt or a tahini. Um, and so because Dr. Bernard wanted to keep everything really low fat, I decided to go with like a, a yogurt option. And then I was like, oh, right, we can use like a really healthy plant-based yogurt that doesn't have all the dairy stuff in it. And so I made this really just quick little sauce that you just wh- whisk together and put on it. And I was like, well, that's gorgeous. But then I'm thinking, okay, there needs to be something else on this plate. I had a vegetable too, but my husband loves Cajun food. Like it's his, it's his favorite thing. And so it was sort of the same thing. Like, what do I have? What do I have? What do I have? And I saw I had quinoa. And which is a lovely, lovely plant-based protein on top. And so I just made some Cajun quinoa and it has all the basic, you know, Cajun seasoning and it has the Holy Trinity in there and it's just delicious. And actually the Bayou quinoa is probably, I would say one of the top 25 recipes in the Meal Mentor app. Like people make it because I can see what people are selecting. It's definitely one of the most popular ones. And everyone's always talking about how easy it is. It's like comes together really fast and kids like it. And so I was like, okay, I have to put that in Neil's book. Right on. Uh, You said the Holy Trinity. I suspect that there might be some people who are just getting going with the plant-based diet. What is the Holy Trinity? 
it's part of like sort of the whole Cajun cooking and different cuisines. Like I think it, Italian cuisine has its own, but it's basically like bell pepper, celery, tomatoes, certain Cajun seasonings. And what they do in traditional Cajun recipes is they take these vegetables like onions and things like that. And they just chop it really small and, um, and they use that for the base of flavoring. Cool. And they just right. to it as the Holy Trinity. You could say it and sound really smart at your dinner party. <laughs> and uh, so this was a hit with your husband as well then? Yes. And it's actually one of his favorite things to take for lunch. He says it actually gets more flavorful like as it kind of sits. And so I'll either make it on the weekend so it kind of merges its flavor or we'll have it for dinner. But I'll make enough so that he can pack pack some for his lunch the next day. And he'll just throw some like kidney beans on top. And it's like done. He's done with his lunch. It's right there. And he Fire. loves it. Oh, man. That's yeah. super easy. And it's uh, also it's good, hot, cold, or like a warm temperature, which is also nice if you're taking it for lunch. You don't have to worry about it. No, that's huge. That's absolutely <laughs> huge, especially if your office doesn't have a microwave or something like that. Right, yep, and his doesn't mm. always. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. How much How much prep time, how much cooking time are we talking about? Well, the quinoa is as long as the quinoa takes to make, which is about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes if you also need to prep your veggies. Um, you can buy veggies pre-cut, but I know they're a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the cakes, if you're if you already cooked your lentils, or you're like me and you just buy like lentils that are cooked in a can, or they have those like watertight bags now, um, then it's just a matter of like mixing the patties and baking them. So that's uh, maybe 25 minutes all total if you can do them at the same time. Right, 30, on. a little slower. Again, that's that's not too bad. I think that is you know maybe somebody's purchase the book here and, and they're going through the menu. I think that if they were to, you know, prep the night before, you know, get this mm-hmm. taken care of. So it's just ready to go. You don't have to worry about scrambling to put this stuff together. Uh, right. Cram that into your work day. One of the things I like to do on the weekend is like, I'll listen to a podcast or a book or I'll put on a TV show and just like make a couple of meals for the week. And then we don't have to even really think about it. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's really nice to do that. Yeah. And all the recipes in the book are, are you can do that because that's what I have to do. And it, it makes it, it's nice. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm watching my TV show, but then lunch is ready. We pull it out of the fridge dinner. I just got to heat it up or warm it up. It's, oh, it's so nice after a long day to just come home and look at my fridge and be like, there's all my food. <laughs> and you know, if you need a podcast to listen to, I can give you a good suggestion. Yes, I bet you can. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so there we go. We have covered breakfast. Now we have covered lunch, and that leaves dinner, but we will be saving that for the next episode. Lindsay Nixon, thank you very much for bringing your sunshine to our lives once again. Thanks. The book is loaded with more than 60 recipes. And so the croquettes and the bayou quinoa, that's only two of them. So if you're looking for more, including the butternut breakfast tacos that we featured on the show last week, well, all you need to do is head over to pcrm.org slash your body in balance. We've posted a ton of recipes up there. And we've also put a link to that page in the episode notes below. So just go ahead. If you're listening on Apple podcast, go ahead and click that link and find those recipes. Just scroll toward the bottom of the page and you're going to find all kinds of yummy plant-based ideas on there. And in the book itself, you can get the full menu 
including a ton of other recipes that aren't posted online. And there's a link to order your copy in the episode notes below as well, or just head over to Amazon or pop into your favorite bookstore near you. The book, Your Body and Balance, is literally available anywhere. And just a heads up, this is important to note, that the science that's in this book is something that you won't read anywhere else. This is the first time that all of this information has been assembled in a single book. That's what makes this so, so very important. And if you have any questions about today's show, about menopause or about cramping or really anything else that's on your mind, please feel free to reach out to us. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there. The Physicians Committee is at PCRM on Twitter and at Physicians Committee on Instagram. And Dr. Barnard at Dr. Neil Barnard. Good for both Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Neil Barnard. By the way, he's uh, currently on a whirlwind cross-country tour bringing science and hope and all of these stories that we've been talking about during this series to a city near you. We've got dozens and dozens of dates on the calendar with more being added all the time. So if you want to come see Dr. Barnard speak about your body and balance, check him out live. You can view the full schedule at pcrm.org slash book tour. And of course, we've put a link to that page as well in the episode notes below. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast and wherever it is that you get your favorite shows so that you, yes, you, can be among the first to get these special episodes with this life-changing and even life-saving information each and every week we put these episodes out. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because that helps even more people discover this nutrition science and improve their own health. And if you want to pay things forward, one of the easiest ways that you can do that, one of the best ways you can help somebody out is just by leaving a five-star rating and subscribing to the exam room. And that's going to do it for us this week as we continue the Your Body in Balance series. More shows, I promise, with a lot more science still to come. But for now, my thanks to Ann Friday and Lindsay Nixon for sharing their stories with us today. And of course, to Dr. Neil Barnard for spreading on the science and bringing a whole lot of hope to the table. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. Mm-hmm.